All right, thanks again, Ben. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hiawatha. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And as we say every week, if you're brand new, especially welcome to you uh, or newish to our church, uh, thanks for coming back and joining us in, in one of our, our church gatherings. Uh, I want to point you, if you're especially if you're new to our church, to uh, what Chris was saying earlier. We have a new to Hiawatha lunch today, and love to have you come to that. We purposefully don't have signups for it because we want it to be really low commitment and really easy just to come to. So no one signed up for it. Uh, so if you haven't, you're not alone. You, you're going to be just like everyone else who's, who's going to be there. So I'd love to have you come to that, whether you're brand new or it's maybe been a year and you haven't still yet met a pastor or heard much about our church. Uh, please come for a quick lunch, about 45 minutes or so, and a quick presentation on who we are as a church. So love to, to have you there. We are going to dive into our next big question of this summer. So if, if you're new, we are preaching through some big questions that the church has given us as pastors and overseers to preach through. Uh, this summer, and we've gotten uh, really good questions, too many to fit into the summer, so sorry we can't get, get to all of them, uh, but we're getting to the gist, I think, and uh, some really good ones, so thanks again for supplying some great preaching content, uh, question-wise at least, uh, to us this, this summer. Uh, so today we're just going to dive right in. Today's question, and Peter was mentioning this a couple of minutes ago, is can you lose your salvation? And so just a couple of things on this before we dive in. This is something that you may or may not be aware that Christians historically have disagreed on. There's a couple of kind of main camps that I won't really go into definitionally today for time's sake. I just want to kind of talk about this from our perspective, from what we think is the Bible's perspective on it. So, but some of you are aware of that. If you're not, don't worry about it. You're not missing really anything. Uh, but we can be, we want to say this, and we say this a lot to people who ask us this, and, and I, I think every cycle we've done this, this sermon series, someone has asked this question. So we know it's on a lot of your, your hearts, Peter mentioned that. I've had this question before. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big one. So, but we, we do like to say that we can, we really think we can be charitable towards each other in this, uh, meaning uh, you don't have to buy into or believe exactly what I have to say about this or quite, you know, see, see eye to eye with where we're at as overseers on this issue to be a Christian or to be a member here or even to be a leader on some levels here. And so it is that charitable and open-handed for us. And yet, I was talking to, to Chris Thompson and, and Peter this morning, a couple of our other overseers, this is a, a really big deal for us too. And I haven't said that to all of our questions this summer, not meaning that they haven't been important, they have been, uh, but our answer to this question is really, it's a really big deal. And we're saying that kind of based off the fact that the Bible treats it as a big deal. And Jesus addresses this directly in many of his teachings and what he has to say to his, to his followers before his death and, and as it relates to his death and resurrection as, as well. And so I just want to preface it with, with that. Another question, too, actually, we're going to, the same person asked this, so um, that's why we're doing it, but it also, it serves as a related question, uh, and that is, how do you know if you're really saved? So we'll talk about, can you lose your salvation, but then also this idea of how do you really know if you're one of God's people? How do you know if your sin has been cleansed? How do you truly know if you're dining at the table of God, figuratively, spiritually now, but ultimately physically in, in the end when he comes back and renews the earth? And what kind of security and assurance, to go back to that song, uh, can, we, can we truly have? So before we go into this, it's important to talk about what is salvation briefly. We're talking about, you know, can you lose it? And so if you don't know what it is, then nothing I say is going to matter. So um, here's a brief definition, lots of things to say about this, but a couple of words on it. Salvation, by salvation, we mean the state of being saved by God through Jesus Christ's substitutionary death and resurrection from the horrific, hopeless, and, and hellbound state of being separated from God by our sin. 
Or another way to say it is, salvation is what describes what happens to sinners like us when we turn to Jesus and we believe and trust in his gospel, in the good news of his death and resurrection, which again is substitutionary. So God became a human being to associate with us and advocate for us and die as one of us in our place. If he just appeared and looked human but was just actually God and wasn't actually human, he couldn't die as a human for humans. And so the idea that, that Jesus is fully human and fully God is a critical part of Christian theology as well. But even broadly, more broadly speaking, though, it's this idea that Jesus is a substitute. He's the lamb, the sacrificial lamb who died and in that death saved us and in his resurrection three days later raised us up with him to be changed and to be one of his, his people and God's children. So salvation then is something God gives and a sinner or person turns to receive. And so the question then is, can you lose this? Or can you lose all of that? What I was just saying, can you lose all of that once you genuinely, truly receive it from God? That's, that's the question. All right, and so the answer in short is no, but kind of yes, but definitely no. So like a, lot of, a lot of, like a lot of things in theology, there's layers, it's nuanced, and so this is one of those things. But the answer is no, definitely not, but kind of, yeah, you can, but absolutely not. You, you definitely can't. So what, what I want to do today is um, teach through this briefly, kind of based off of these three layers. And it, this is not a class, and so there's much more to say than what I'm about to say on it. So we could spend hours on it, but I, st I still want to teach through it kind of systematically. Then talk about why it matters. That's almost a more important question than the what. Here's the why. So why does this doctrine matter? And how does it point us to the gospel? And then address that secondary question I talked about, which is, again, very related and very important. How do we know if we're saved? How, how do we know if we're a Christian truly? All right, so let's just walk through this fairly quickly. First, no, you can't. You can't lose your salvation. Uh, the reason is because salvation is a gift, the Bible says, from like every angle imaginable. It's a promise that God gives us, and he can't lie. It's a wedding vow that God makes to us, and he never divorces us. He never snatches his gifts away from us, or he never reneges on his promises. A couple places you see this directly from the mouth of Christ is in John 10, 28. Jesus says, I give them, my people, my sheep, eternal life, my church, eternal life. Not partial life, eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. John 6.40, again, similar in, in context. He says, for this is the will of my Father. So as God the Son, we sang about the Trinity earlier. Jesus is God the Son. Another person of the Trinity is God the Father. So this is the will of God, my Father, that everyone, keyword, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. So this is like present-day language, not just talking about the future, but everyone who sees the Son now. And so if you're a Christian in the room, Jesus is giving you eternal life now. Your, your life with him is beginning now. It's eternal. It will not be taken back. If it could be lost, it wouldn't be described as eternal life, but maybe life with the possibility of eternality if you finish all the way till the end. And I will raise him up at the last day. So it's also important to understand here in and we'll look at Ephesians 2 as one example of this, but important to understand that faith, so, so faith meaning our trust in God, faith is an, is a, is an active idea here, it's, it's active trust and dependence in God for deliverance. 
Faith itself is a gift. So our ability to have faith is, is a gift. It's given by God. So Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace, God's grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The phrase gift of God here, linguistically, grammatically, points back to grace and faith here, not just grace. So the gift of God is faith, is our faith. It's, it's by grace we're saved, but the fact that we can trust God is also something that is, that, that is inspired on by him or, or whispered into our hearts or, or we're regenerated is another theological word for it. We're regenerated or brought to life so that we can have that faith in the first place. So this means that our faith becomes, in light of the question today, our faith becomes more secure when we realize it was given and it didn't really have its origin, ultimately anyway, in us. And so when we talk in these terms, all of a sudden we're talking less about people losing their salvation because they didn't earn it or find it, and more about does God let his people perish after they first believe and after he gives them faith? And of course, the answer to that, as we've already seen, is no, absolutely not, never. All right, so then, then the, as the kind of flow of logic here goes, but... The New Testament is full of warnings to Christians not to fall away, isn't it? Maybe it's a question you guys even have already had this morning or have had at some point in your life. The answer to that is yes, and these are important to heed and to listen to and consider. Two, two quick ones this morning. I'll read from Hebrews 6. This is one of the big ones, 6, 3, and 4. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. There's a ton to say in there, but just kind of notice the, the general flow of that is it's impossible to bring someone back to Christ once they've kind of tasted Him and understood the things of the gospel, and understood the things of the Holy Spirit, and understood the mysteries of the faith that God has sort of partially made known to them, and kind of partially become privy to, it's impossible if they fall away and reject Christ ultimately to bring them back, since they know all the answers. They've already kind of chosen to reject them, rather than this being like, an, like a non-Christian or unbeliever who just doesn't know the answers yet, or they're in process of understanding this is what we call an, an apostasy situation or uh, one who um, is uh, an ultimate denier or rejecter or wayward one of, of the faith. So Hebrews 6 is a, is a big warning. Also in other places, this is just one example, but you see a lot in Paul's letters in the New Testament. He names people. This is, these are these poor people. But, but their names are in the New Testament. This is, this is like their legacy is they, they seemingly were Christians and they were associates or friends of Paul somehow, but then, as he says here, they, they rejected him. So 1 Timothy 1.19 says, By rejecting Jesus, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. And so this is the, the kind of yes part of the answer. Even though we're secure in Christ, there are warnings to stay in the faith to Christians, to endure, to persevere, to keep clinging to him, and to make sure we drink, not just taste, to go back to Hebrews 6, not just taste the gospel, but drink it down deep 
and drink deeply of his grace so that we don't rely on our works, but his work in his shedding of his blood to save us. And that's a, that's a for us kind of work. Not just something that happened in history, but something he did for us as we sang about earlier. All right, then the argument kind of keeps going, or this is, this is what we would say kind of in response to, to the warnings, or kind of as a qualification. But the Bible also teaches that those who fall away show that they were never in in the first place. The New Testament's quite clear on this. 1 John 2.19 says, they, antichrists, or people who were seemingly Christian but then didn't kind of persevere or stay Christian, they went out from us. They went out from the church. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. And so the key phrase there is, if they had been of us, if they had truly been a Christian, they would have continued with us. And so what this is also saying then is, past professions of faith are made authentic by present-day perseverance. So past professions of faith are made authentic, genuine, true, by present perseverance and by by our, our present professions of faith and what we do kind of presently with Christ every day, by nourishing ourselves on him through kind of the, the graces of the church and of his word and the gifts of other Christians uh, daily, the daily bread of them. Another place, you see, you see the same thing, the same language is used as Hebrews 3.14, for we Christians have come past tense to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm till the end. So we have come, past tense, to share in Christ if we indeed hold our original faith, our original confidence, or our trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins firm to the end. Again, our past profession of faith, our conversion is proved genuine if we continue to believe in Jesus alone for the salvation of our sins and don't renege on it firm until the end. Same idea. So again, what this is saying just by extension is you can't, actually be a true Christian and fall away, but you can look Christian and fall away. You can be a fake Christian and fall away. You can fool people into thinking you're Christian. Everybody, you can dupe everybody except God and ultimately fall away. But you can't truly be in the camp of salvation, so to speak, and and fall away because it's God's present-day ministry, not just past, but present-day ministry to keep all that the Father gives him, Jesus, all the Father gives him, in his hand, and no one can snatch them out. It's part of the gospel. We'll come back to that here in a second. So again, the end of the, the, end of the answer then again is so no. So it was, uh, it was a no, but kind of yes, but definitely no. This is the last, the last no. So no, you cannot lose your salvation. And follow along just kind of logically with me for one more second. If faith is a gift, and if Jesus' people, after he saves them, never perish, And if those who do fall away were never really saved in the first place, no matter how Christian they looked, then no, you can't lose it. What God intends to save, he saves. And he's pretty dang good at it. All right, so Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, another place to look at before we move on. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed not with the seal that you put on your own heart or bodies or faith, but sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, with the promised Holy Spirit of God, who is the guarantee 
of our inheritance, which is another word for salvation, the guarantee of our salvation until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so this is a beautiful, securing, blessed assurance idea. If you're a Christian, you've been sealed not by anything you've done, but God himself has put his seal on your heart, on your faith, on your body, on your eternal security. And that seal is like him. He's, he himself is the seal. So it's this, I mean, this, this alone is securing and blessed assurance. But going back to what Jesus said too about his hand and how none will be snatched mixed with this is kind of doubly so. All right, so that's a really brief walkthrough on how we would say here that we should kind of process this as Christians logically. It's nuanced, it's layered, it is difficult. You can kind of see probably in the way I frame this how Christians would historically disagree because you can emphasize one side or the other. You can emphasize the, but Jesus says no one snatches out of his hands. And the, or you can emphasize the, but the Bible says that there are warnings. But there are things to say about those warnings as we, as we looked at. And at the end, this is the final answer. No true Christians, true Christians, will never ever lose their salvation because God predestines and intends and wills them uh, to, to be saved, even though they have real choices at, at the same time. And that's another question, too, that I know this associates with is the idea of predestination at the biblical word. Uh, and if this is all true, if God's giving faith to some, why doesn't he give his like, faith to everybody? Why does he pass over some and not others? And that's just, that's another, like, six sermons. So, well, one sermon. It could be six, but that's another sermon that, um, that no one asked about, so we're not going to preach on this summer. Uh, no, one of you could, and maybe, maybe we will. But I know that's another question, or it's a can of worms. Um, it's, uh, it's just not something we can really touch on. Other than to say that God, yes, he does, predestines, he does predestine people. It, he, it has to be the case. The Bible says it, but if this is true that we can't lose our salvation and that faith is a gift, then, then there is this, this, this idea in the Bible that, that God is much more in control of our salvation than we think he is. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. All right, so why is this important? This is the next question. I said before, this, this is almost more important than the question of losing your salvation itself. And I have two big things here that I've kind of already talked about one of them a little bit. But first is, because of how closely this question relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ itself. In other words, if the gospel is Jesus saves us from our sins, then this means if we can't lose our salvation, that he doesn't just make it possible for us to be saved, but he truly, actually, in real time, saves us all the way to the end. He's there at our conversion, he's there every day of our lives, and he's there at our dying breath, helping us to persevere and to keep going in the faith. Colossians 1.17 is great in this. It says, in Jesus, all things hold together. And he's talking about everything in heaven, everything on earth. But what does all things include here? Your salvation, Christian. Your salvation holds together because of Jesus. He intends it to be so. Without Christ, it would sort of like just scatter, like, like chaff in the wind. It would just kind of, you can't keep it together. It's like a, a putty or a glue or, like, or something. This kind of like saps down and, and loses its form. Without Christ holding all things together, they aren't sustained. They would fly away and they would cease to be what they are. So in Christ, all things hold together, including our salvation. So that, 
This is not just a Jesus saves me, then it's up to me to kind of stay saved. It's a Jesus saves me and he keeps me saved a doctrine, an idea. It's a huge, huge verse to this. Incredibly good news, and if you really think about it, and maybe some of you have already been thinking about this, if you really think about it, the opposite of this whole idea is terrible news. So no matter how logical it might sound to us, uh, it's terrible news. I told you guys before, I, um, I forget things a lot. I lose things all the time and forget things. i not kidding. One out of two times leaving my house, I forget my keys. And I'll get all the way to my car, and I'll have my keys. And I just, you know, punch the car and go back in. And my kids laugh at me saying, there's dad again. He forgot your keys. They're laughing at me. And I'm saying, stop it. Don't laugh at me. I'm frustrated. Uh, but but I, I have this gift, you know, or whatever you're going to call it. But it's... Um, to, to be forgetful. And I think God's grace is in that, in that he's reminding me that if left to me, if my salvation was left to me, I would lose it every day. Every single day, I would lose it. I would forget it. I wouldn't hold on to it tight enough. And you would as well. Maybe not as forgetful as I am. I'm like a you know, poster child for it. But, but think about that. When you lose something or forget something, you know, and then you think, or maybe you'd be inclined to think, or someone tells you sometime that, it's up to you, like you can lose your salvation. That's like a, that's a damnable idea. It's a hellish doctrine. It's a fear-ridden thing. If we can lose our salvation, it actually goes further. It means that we have ultimate control over it, right? If we can lose it, it means that we at least have partial, if not ultimate, control over it, which means it's ultimately up to us to save ourselves. To draw on our own power to have unstained faith and to prove ourselves in that faith to God. And this leads us to many things, one of which is outright fear. Outright fear. In fact, that's another argument for the idea that we can't lose our salvation. One of the most repeated commands in the Bible is do not fear. In fact, if you lump in variations of do not fear, like don't be afraid or that's not really, the, that's the same thing, kind of, but anyway, other, other variations of that. Um, it, it, it actually is the most common command you get in the Bible. doesn't mean it's the most important. Just because re, something's repeated the most doesn't mean it's the most important, but it does mean it's there for emphasis. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. God says it all over the place. Angels say it all over the place. Jesus says it all over the place especially after he was raised from the dead, because because of that, why should we fear anything else? Because death is weak compared to Jesus. Weak, impotent compared to our Savior. And so we have nothing to fear. But the, the idea is, going back to the question, because the Bible says do not fear, we, we actually, it's indirect, but the idea that you can lose your salvation can't be true. Do not fear... Do not fear and you can lose your salvation. Do not mix. It's like saying to people whose ship is going down in the middle of the ocean, don't fear, you might make it. Those things don't go together, right? It'd be more logical and sensical to say, fear, you, you might not make it or you probably won't. But saying don't fear you might not make it, you can lose something, uh, is, is nonsensical and untenable. Instead, we would say to the people in the water, don't fear, the Coast Guard is 30 seconds away. You're going to be saved. 
it's a guarantee. You're going to be saved, right? Don't fear, someone else is coming to save you, and you're going to be okay. So, so again, to be clear, if, if we hold certain beliefs that lead us to fear as Christians, and the Bible says don't fear like a thousand times in light of the gospel, then there's something wrong with this original belief. In this case, the idea that we can lose our salvation. It's inconsistent with God's regular imperative or command to his people, don't be afraid. And so that's the first thing. It's, it's closely related to the idea of the gospel itself. Saved by grace, not by works. And, and one of our works even being the act of, of believing or, or having faith itself. All right? The second thing is, it helps us to heed the warnings of the New Testament without being crushed by them because our salvation is secure. So we can look at those warnings like in Hebrews 6 and some of these named apostates in the New Testament. We can listen to the warnings but not be crushed by the weight of them at the same time. Because the point isn't a warning against being a commandment keeper. The warning's not be a really good person. The warning is don't stop believing in Jesus Christ and trusting him and clinging to him for dear life. So, so the warnings, it's interesting because the warnings can simultaneously make us really look at our beliefs and our hearts and examine them. This is actually how the book of 2 Corinthians ends. It says to Christians, examine yourself, test yourself to see whether or not if you're in the faith or not. We can take those very seriously but not be crushed by them because at the exact same time, we're taking refuge in the fact that Jesus hasn't just saved us, but he is saving us, even in those moments that we're being warned. So when we sin grievously, when we suffer more than ever, when we doubt, the thought then isn't immediately, well, maybe I haven't believed in Jesus after all, but the thought is, I still belong to him. I must. Otherwise, why do I believe at all? And then we move, maybe if it's a sin issue, to forgive me, Jesus, make me, make me new. I mentioned the issue of vows before. I think there's a reason why God likens himself to being a bridegroom and being like this really loving, groom-like husband figure to his people who makes promises. You know, because it's like my wife... Um, She's not here right now, but she's somewhere in the building. But my, my wife and I, we got married. Like any marriage, we made promises and vows to each other. And so, and I say that, we say this, you know, to, she actually has our vows up in our bedroom, and so we, we can see them all the time. But, uh, and I say this to people I do counseling for, for, pre, for pre-marrieds, like, take divorce off the table, first of all. We live in a fallen world, and it has to happen sometimes, but, you know, for the Christian, don't, don't make it an option because the second you fight with each other, you'll consider it. You think, well, let's just take the easy way out. But what helps, I think, a couple to persevere in love is remembering the other person made promises unto death for you. And we're imperfect. I realize those promises can be broken and are often, but it's still an analogy. You know, when you think about when you're fighting with your spouse, when you're in really hard times, it could be really dark, actually when you're suffering deeply, if you think about what the other person said to you on your wedding day, when they promised that whatever happens, I promise to, to, to not leave you, 
or forsake you. Whatever happens, sickness, no money, terrible suffering, I, I promise to be there. Sin, I promise to be there. And, and God, I think, likens himself to this because, and actually with him, it's even greater because we think about our relationship with God as Christians. He is not asking us to make promises to him. Like a husband and wife both do that, obviously. With God, he alone makes vows. He's the only one that does it. And Christians don't do anything. We don't say anything back to him. He just says, I promise to always be there. I'm going to prove this by, by dying on that cross and going to hell and come back again and rising up in victory all for you in love. And in that, he's going to kind of undergird the vows, undergird the covenant of, of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be saved. It's all on him. And so again, we can heed these warnings like in a marriage and work hard in our marriage. We can think about that thing, but, but the vows kind of serve as a protective blanket over our relationship. It actually allows you to communicate and, and actually fight fairly. If you know that someone's promised to not leave you, you're not scared about making them angry. Like, what if I say something that's going to really anger them? What if they just leave? This is what, what should make marriage such a beautiful thing is it actually allows you to be more honest and more open and having those fair fights, you know, where you can actually get... Same in a business, too, by the way. Like, if you have trust on, like, a team of people leading a business, you can actually get things done because you can actually disagree and have hard conversation, but there's trust there. You're not worried about, oh, my gosh, if I disagree with this person, they're going to, like, quit. You don't worry about that. So, anyway, that's another thing. But the vow idea, the fact that God made vows to us, we can heed these warnings, not be crushed by them, because our salvation is, is secure. All right, lots more to say about that, but that's, that's one big piece. This last question then, how do you know if you're really saved? Again, this is a, um, this is a great question that, I, that does relate. And let me just start with this brief response, and I wrote it out here for clarity. This is, this is the start anyway. This is, what I think, this is what I think we do. You look at outward, so to Christians now in the room, you look at outward things in your life, like the fact that you believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, the biggest one. You look at your baptism. You look at repentance. You look at the love you have for God's people, as 1 John talks a lot about. It even says if you don't love the church, you can't love God. Like, it's impossible because this kind of is Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And that's, again, another sermon. But love for the church. You look at all those things, as it says here, as signs of God's grace in your life. But behind, behind that, behind the veil of that, you understand it was really God who was working behind those veils all the time so that you're trusting not so much in your choice to believe in, in Jesus as you are in God's choice to save you. Or in other words, we, we believe the gospel, but we also believe that God wanted us to believe the gospel. This is how you know you're saved. You believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then you know you're saved. But you also believe behind that that God intended you to believe it, that he gave you that faith, that he's appearing to you because he wants to make you a part of his family, that he's working in your life. He's not dangling a carrot before your face saying, I hope they make the right choice, but I just, I just don't know for sure. I don't want to like get involved because I want them to make a genuine choice. Like He loves you too much for that. And so we believe the gospel, but we also actively believe that, wow, because of 
my belief, because of the fact that I, I have some love for the church, because of the fact that he led me to be baptized as a sign of, the, as a sign of my confession, like the, all of that, behind the veil of that, God must have been working. It's, it's a paradigm shift, I know, for a lot of you. Maybe, maybe all of you, all of us to a degree. We don't naturally think that way, and it's mysterious. But this is how we need to think. I was reading a camp website recently uh, that will go unnamed. Uh, it doesn't matter. A camp website, though, and someone's um, one-sentence testimony, kind of like a banner, was on the, was on the homepage. And it, it came up first, and it read something like this. At this camp 50 years ago, I invited Jesus into my heart. At this camp 50 years ago, I invited Jesus into my heart. And this is a, a very common way for Christians to speak, and there can be better motives than, you know, and worse motives to kind of behind it and everything like that. But this is a very common way for Christians to speak, but it's actually really misguided. The Bible does not talk about inviting Jesus in, per se, as if he's waiting for you to send him an evite to a party in your soul. Instead, what's more true is Jesus broke into your dead heart, uninvited, and made you alive. And if anything, we receive him, but receiving and inviting are very different verbs. They're very different words. So what's more true is that Jesus broke into your and my dead heart uninvited and he made us alive. And if anything, we receive him, but receiving and inviting are, are very different things. But, but you might say to that, but I made a choice to become a Christian myself. I remember the day. And to that I would say, yes, and praise God that happened. But you chose because he first chose you. Just like it says in 1 John you love because only he first loved you. That's the only reason why we have love is because he first loved us. So he is the, the actor and the motivator and the primary cause of love in our life. Same with salvation. Otherwise, why would we praise God for belief? Like Paul does countless times for his churches in the New Testament. You ever think about that? Why does the Apostle Paul in the New Testament say, I thank my God every time I remember you, church. The fact that you believe, that you believe this gospel, why would we thank God for someone's conversion if they had something to do with it? Right? It's, it's a waste of air and words. It's actually inconsistent. But if God was the one who was enabling people to believe, if he was at work in their life, if he was utilizing his God-ordained means to soften the heart and to save, if he made the gospel matter, to people, just like he did for all of you sitting here and me, if you believe. If he did that, then we would thank him. We'd rejoice. We'd worship. It's the same thing with, with this phrase, I gave my life to Jesus. What's actually better is, and what's more true, is Jesus gave his life for us. Got to watch the way we talk sometimes because of how it relates to this question of can you lose your salvation if, if the foundation is you giving your life or you inviting, that's such shaky ground. Did you really invite him? Did you really mean it? Did you really have pure motives there? So how do we know we're saved? It's, it's not because we invited Jesus in or gave our life to him. We know we're saved because we know he gave his life for us and he broke in. 
And he gave us grace and the ability to believe. And he holds our faith together like he holds all things together from Colossians 1.17. All things. Not all things except your ability to believe the gospel, like that's some exception. It's all things. Is it all things or not? Is it everything or not? This is really good news. It's like that song we sang a few minutes ago. When I'm plagued by unbelief, this is, what, this is what Jesus does when we're plagued by unbelief. He places our hands where? Into his side. He doesn't place your hands on your strong heart or place your hands onto your good works. He places your hand into his side to remember what he did for you and how strong he is to save you and how that's sufficient alone every day. It's not the door, it's the path. And it's the final destination. And so let me just ask you guys, i kind of been saying this already, but let me ask you directly. Do you really want to put all of your hope in the purity and sincerity of your past profession of faith? Or do you want to put all of your hope in Jesus? Do you really want to put all of your hope in your past profession of faith, the amount of sincerity that you feel like you had in that profession of faith? Or do you want to put all of your hope in Jesus and him crucified and raised? It can't be both. Only the latter will lead to assurance. All right, so so a few things just to wrap this up. It's actually hard for me this week to think about how to wrap this up. Uh, So I'm just going to throw some more verses at you. When in doubt, throw verses out. Um, But you you can't lose what God desires to give you. If anything, just take that home. If you know that, praise God. He's helped you to know that. If you don't, he wants you to right now. He's speaking to you. He wants you to know how powerful he is and how salvation is not something that's a concept that's up to you to figure out. It's something he's involved in the world and impressing into your life because he loves you so much. Is that much more secure and better? And more importantly than that, it's true. This is the reason why we believe this, because it's true. Not because it's like the best argument. That's, that's, like, that's great too. Because it's related to the gospel, that's great too. But ultimately, this matters because it's actually true. So Philippians 1.6 says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. Or the ESV says, in the end. I'm confident. Paul says, the one who saved you, the God who saved you, will bring that faith to completion. He's the active force in bringing it to completion. So he's rejoicing with the Philippians that, isn't this amazing, fellow Christians, that our God loves us this much and he's this involved in our life? That the story of Christianity is a God who is just invading the world for good, invading the world to redeem sinners like us, invading the world to overcome dead hearts that would lose our salvation every single day if it was even a percent up to us to stay in the faith. Romans 8, another promise, big one. Paul says, for the same guy wrote Philippians, so it's the same language, to a different church, but same gospel. For I am sure, I'm sure, certain, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, which includes ourselves, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful statement and promise and foundation? Jesus forged an unbreakable covenant between God and us. And he didn't forge it with anything from you and me whatsoever, but he forged it with the blood of Jesus himself. The strongest element in the universe because it's made with perfect love. And and so we, we say with Jude, we are Christians kept by Jesus. And two things to this quick uh, in, in response. One, do you believe this? Here's, here's a common way to think. Jesus saves us, but we keep ourselves in the faith. How many times have you heard that? Or have you presently? Or do you presently? If you have, let me liberate you from that way of thinking. Let the Bible, let God liberate you from the way of thinking. Jesus is actively keeping you in the faith right now in this very room. Right now, if you believe, that's him. It's a whisper of his presence, the Holy Spirit's present-day ministry in your life. It's not to cheapen the decision you made to follow him by any stretch. It's just to say that behind the veils of that, we see his grace. And so the call is believe the gospel, believe that Jesus died on that cross. And that's how we know we're saved. Talk less about your conversion 20 years ago and talk more about him. That today, he died for my sins. Today, the, the, the New Testament cares more about where the church is presently than where it was in the past. Not that that's not a question or unimportant, but if you just look at how much ink is given over to past or present, the, biggest, the bigger thrust of encouragement is, where are we today? What are we doing with Jesus today? It's part of the warnings we talked about before, but not a burdensome warning, but still a warning we need to take seriously. Is Jesus enough or not? And are we kept by him or kept by ourselves? And then secondly, I would say this is, other than to believe the gospel, and one thing we're doing in this series that we hope you guys are seeing is to try to teach on how all Christian doctrines are serving as kind of an undercurrent to the gospel or a pipeline towards it or like a a telescope towards it or like an arrow towards it, making a beeline themselves with with what they, what they state towards it. In other words, the son of the solar system of Christian doctrine is Jesus on the cross. Everything somehow gets us there or relates to it or serves as an undercurrent to it. And so if anything else then, other than that, to believe in the gospel today, if you're not a Christian yet, I hope you're liberated by all of this. Like, it's not up to you. It's up to a God who loves you deeply so much that he did not withhold his one and only son from you, but gave him up so that he might take your place on that cross and in death and kind of in this hellish existence for those six hours when he baked in the sun and and bled out for you and then rose again. All all of that. He didn't withhold his one and only son for you. this, This should make us feel incredibly loved. And that's why you're a Christian. That's how you become a Christian and why you, how you stay a Christian and why you Christians are presently Christians because of his work in, in your life. Okay, that's the big thing. But I would say to you Christians, secondly, like I'm doing now and like we do this all the time kind of towards each other in our community groups and so forth, but this is the hope we have to offer the world and each other. So... Um, 
the, the, the person who asked this, I'm grateful because I know it's a question many of us have, and, or if you don't, you will, and especially when you sit in darkness. So if, if you wrestle with depression, if you have anxiety, or deep-seated sinful addictions that you can't shake, and speaking to Christians here for a second, that, this is the good news. Amidst those things, Jesus comes to you. As you sit in those things, as you wrestle with those things, he comes to you. And they're not signs that you're unsaved. The only sign that we're unsaved is is if we don't believe the gospel. So there's freedom in this. We can suffer deeply, the loss of a family member. We can be deeply depressed. We can feel distant from him. All kinds of, of anxieties. It's amidst these things, the gospel says, amidst those things, Jesus comes to us and his death and resurrection are an anchor to hold on to in those places. And so to go back to the fear idea, and I'll, I'll end with this, in 1 John it says, perfect love drives out fear. We will have fear as Christians. We will be deeply afraid, but perfect love, this, this is what God is doing. He's at work in his church driving out fear, making fearless more fearless every day, his people, because the opposite of fear is love, and, and perfect love drives it out. We know we're loved. And perfect love is not yours. It doesn't have its origin in you. It has its origin here. This is, this is what God says in, in the Bible is the best kind of love is when someone lays down their life for someone else. And, he, and then he says, that's what I'm going to do for you. So the best form of that kind of sacrificial love is what I'm going to do because I'm God and it's perfect and it's for the nations. And so grounding ourselves, drinking deep, not just tasting, drinking deep of that perfect love and believing, trusting in it is what drives out fear and relatedly entertaining the idea that it's actually possible to lose something that God intends you to keep forever. And so be careful with those lies and fight back against them with these types of truth-filled gospel statements. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this question that um, topically we're able to kind of explore for a little bit here, but, but especially as we look at why it's in the Bible and how this doctrine relates to kind of better doctrines, we see that it's, it's there. Um, really, the answer is no, you can't lose it. But the whole idea is there to point us to Jesus. So we we get back to him more, and we trust more in him, and we believe that he came to us and he invaded our hearts, uninvited even, that he chose us, and love and choice go together. Like a husband chooses to marry one woman in love. Like that's, it's the same with God. Choice and love are two sides of the same coin. So thank you for choosing us based off of your love for us, not based on our inherent sense of goodness, but just because you you intended to save. And there's a mystery there we can't put words to. There's no earthly, logical reason why you would save us other than love. And and love is not really measurable. That's kind of why we probably know it's true. But not based off of what we do, but based off of your work for us through your son. So... Thank you that we can't lose it. God, help us still to heed those warnings uh, of the scriptures to really examine our hearts. What do we believe about Jesus? Is he our daily bread or just kind of a doorway that we're kind of entertaining, walking through and considering, talking about, tasting? 
uh, but not really drinking deep of. So help us to, to consider those things, but not be crushed by them, because uh, you are stronger than our doubts, our fears, and our disbeliefs. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we respond with these songs.